Before we start, let's bow our heads for another word of prayer. Too much prayer, and for me, too much food cannot hurt. Okay. <laughs> let's pray. Father, in humility, we come in your presence, and we praise you, we worship you, we thank you, and we know that we totally depend on you and owe you everything. We pray that your spirit may open the word for us, that you will be the one to speak. We pray that you touch and transform and you bring results for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name and merits. And thank you, Lord. Amen. Have you asked yourself why we do go to church, we do pray, hopefully, we study the Bible, hopefully, yet we have no power. God has power, doesn't he? God has power, you agree? Unbelievable, infinite, beyond imagination power. I mean, God split the sea. Can you imagine you go to the sea or even go to Michigan Lake and you see it split in two? Can you even imagine that? God pushed the sun 10 hours back. God took down the walls of Jericho. God resurrected the dead. God did so many miracles. Did God change? Is he dead? Is he in vacation? What's the problem? Not that we should be looking for miracles. We should be looking for God, not for miracles. But nevertheless, uh, 5,000 got baptized in one day, 3,000 in another day. Where are those miracles? Where is that power? Jesus said, you will do greater things than I did. You remember that Bible verse? You do? Is it real or is it just, you know, a fable? The spirit of prophecy says that the work is going to close with greater power than it started. Where is that power? Look around. Jesus is coming. You don't need to be religious to look around and know that this world cannot go too far. The virus is worldwide. The fires in California, terrible. The unrest, and we can go on and on. And this is only the beginning of the pain, the beginning of the birth contractions. It's going to get worse more and more and more to the point that the Bible says that people would faint, would lose their heart, would lose their mind. When they would look around, they would just start killing themselves or killing each other. People are filled with, uh, filled with hate. People are filled with, with greed. People are filled with desperation. People just are in a place that they have never been before. You look around and you know this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. As people reject God and the Holy Spirit withdraws himself from the earth, Satan takes over. And you can see it. Jesus is coming. We are Adventists. If you don't believe that Jesus is coming, you are not an Adventist. You follow me? The word, the name, Adventist, means that we are waiting. Are you waiting? Are you sure that you are waiting? Because I know you want to wait. But how do you check that you wait? Because you may think that you wait and you may not know that you don't wait. Do you follow me? It's, it's something to say 
I am waiting, and something else to actually be waiting. Many people believe in prayer, but not so many people pray. You follow me? And so, how do you know that you are waiting? Jesus is coming. We strongly believe that this is happening very, very, very soon. If Jesus is coming, shouldn't we see things happening? Shouldn't we see the Holy Spirit being poured under the latter rain? Shouldn't we see thousands coming to the church? Shouldn't we see miracles happening? Shouldn't we see the power of the gospel being preached like never before? Why are the churches empty? Always tell me the virus. I don't think so. Okay, people are afraid to come to church, but they can start a church at home. You follow me? They can have a group of prayer at home. Why it doesn't happen? Have you prayed for something two, three, four months, one year, and you got no answer? Why? The Spirit of Prophecy says, to every honest prayer, an answer will come. How many prayers? How many means that? 100%? You kidding me? To every honest prayer, an answer will come. But then she does continue saying, it would be wrong to assume that God answers the way you want in the time you want. And in a different paragraph, she says, if we knew the end from the beginning, we would choose, you remember? The same path. But nevertheless, let's go back. Where is that answer to prayer? Why there is no power? Have you tried to get victory over some weakness in your life? For instance, you lose patience, or you like to criticize or to judge people, or you have other problems, I don't know. Did you pray about it? Are you perfect yet? Those who are absolutely perfect, stand up. I'm the single one standing up and the politicians, nobody else. Why aren't you perfect? Well, I'm not saying, I'm not starting this subject, we should be perfect, we should not be perfect, I'm not starting this subject. But I am trying to say, where is the power? Don't you desire power? I'm not talking about political power, physical power, I am talking about spiritual growth. And so, saying that, I'm going to give you what I believe, personally, to be the foundation of all religion, to be the most important, most vital, crucial subject in the religious life, in the Christian life. This is the subject. You have this one, you have everything. You don't have this one, you have nothing. You lose salvation. This is the key. This is it. You need, we need to fully grasp and implement this subject. I'm going to start with an example. I'm going to start with an example. When I was about 100 years ago, when I was young, I was in college in my first school. I was, taking, uh, I was in the construction university to be an engineer in construction. And in Romania, during communism, in that time, it was close to impossible, not impossible, but extremely difficult to be in school. Basically, you didn't go to register, and then you are a student. You pay the tuition, and that's it. You had to pass three days exams, eight hours a day. The first day, eight hours mathematics, two hours trigonometry, 
two hours algebra, two hours geometry, two hours calculus. Next day, eight hours physics, two hours mechanic physics, two hours static physics, and so on and so forth. Next day, languages, two hours composition, two hours... You follow me? Three days, four exams a day, eight hours each day. And there were a bunch, a great number of students competing for a very limited number of seats. They call them seats, openings. Basically, students would pay tutoring famous teachers for years to be trained for the exam. And so, when my sister went to music university, to conservatory, there were 2,000 students competing for two openings. So only the top two got in, the others out. When I went to construction university, there were 976 students competing for 10 openings. So basically, among the 976, you are supposed to be among top 10. If you are the 11th one, you are out, because they had only 10 openings. Do you follow me? Don't sleep on me. You cannot sleep on me because I have an accent. You have to pay attention. But anyway, and so there are only 10 openings. If, if 10 people got 4.0 and you got 3.9, you're out. Because you're the 11th and they had only 10 openings. So I went to the university. I didn't pay any tutoring, anybody, because I don't believe in paying somebody to do my job, you know? I learned alone. I went to university to the exam, and I got admitted as the fourth one among 976. I got in. I called my father. Hey, man, dad, yeah, I got good news. He said, wow, what is the good news? I got admitted in the university. I said, and what is the good news? I said, come on, don't you hear me? Oh, I hear you. I got admitted, I am the fourth one, I am in. He said, and what is the good news, son? I said, well, uh, 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 I am a student. He said, okay, but tell me the good news. I said, come on, don't you understand what it means? No, I don't. I'm going to have a better life, more comfortable life, a better salary, a better position, influence, power. I am, ah, I am set. It's difficult in our country to have a good position and a good job. I am set. He said, and what is the good news? I said, come on, daddy. He said, son, these things come and go. There are people who are doctors and engineers, and they are still not happy and maybe not saved. Unless you tell me that you really found Jesus, you really don't have good news. I said, dad, yeah, 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 I found Jesus. He said, you never called me so excited that you found Jesus, but you called me excited that you got in school. I said, oh, I'm excited that I found Jesus. He said, no, you are not. Yes, I am. No, you are not. <laughs> I've never seen you jumping and screaming that you found Jesus, but I see you, I see you jumping that you got in school. <laughs> Do you understand? Yeah. Have you ever been jumping that you found Jesus? Hello? <laughs> don't answer because I don't want you to lie. And so he said to me, son, you think you found Jesus. And then he read to me a quotation from the spirit of prophecy where she says, if you have no excitement and no passion and no zeal to tell everybody what you have found, 
you have never been truly converted. Because when you really see Jesus, you explode. I put it in my words. You cannot keep it inside. It is like a fire. Think about the fires in California. You cannot contain it. When you find Jesus, if you really see him, you explode. Not physically, come on. And so, he says, I've never seen you excited about Jesus, but I see you excited about school. So that tells me that you love school more than Jesus. Oh no, I love Jesus more. That's what you think. I said, you don't understand, you are old. That was the end of conversation. He said to me, no son, you don't understand. And we will talk later about that when we have an opportunity. Three months later, they called me to the dean's office. The rector, the, the, the president over the whole university. Short, older man, gray hair. Goya, yes. It was not good news to go to the rector's office. You follow me? Goya, I have bad news for you. I said, okay. You are out of school. Why? I am a straight A student. You don't come to school on Saturdays. During communism, we had school on Sabbath. You don't come to school on Saturdays. If you are sick, we forgive you. If you go camping once in a while, as some students do, we forgive you. But we did some checking. You are an Adventist. You go to church. In this country, we don't have a God. We don't believe in God. We cannot allow anybody to have a position of influence if they are religious. Because you are going to influence the workers under you. And we don't have a God. So you need to choose. Next Saturday, you come to school, you'll be an engineer. You don't come to school, you are expelled. You, and you can never register in any school for the rest of your life. End of your education. What would you do? If you lose your school, your education, your job, your freedom, your life, what would you do? It's easy to say, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, anybody can sing the song. Satan can sing the song. Satan has good voice. And he knows the words. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean that if you sing the song, you really love Jesus. And so, guess what I did? Like every good Adventist, I prayed. You know what I prayed for? Who knows what I prayed for? God, save my education. What do we pray for when we have a problem? Lord, solve it. You follow me? And I prayed three days and three nights. So many prayers, I cannot count them. I even fasted four hours. I never fast more than four hours. <laughs> Lord, please save my education. Lord, please save my education. Lord, please, 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 please. And my prayers would bounce against the ceiling and back to me. Did you ever pray and you feel that there is no one listening? No answer? No peace? No relief? I was desperate. After three days, I called my dad. I am praying and God doesn't answer. He said, what are you praying for? My education. What happened? So I told him the story. And my father said, and what do you want with me? What should I do? And my father said, are you asking me if you should go on Sabbath to school? I said, no, because I know if I ask you, you will say no. And so, I'm, but I, why doesn't God answer? Why doesn't God save my education? And my father said to me, son, I have an answer for you, only one. Do you love Jesus? I said, oh, absolutely. With all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, all your soul, all your power, all your life, everything. Yes. More than anything in the universe. Yes. Okay, son, you got your answer. Bye. 
I called him back. Listen, you didn't answer actually. What should I do? I'm losing my education. I'm losing my future. I pray and God doesn't solve my problem. That's what we use prayer for. Prayers in our life most of the times are to solve problems. We pray two types of prayer. Routine prayer. Every morning, every evening, and every meal. And crisis prayer. Every time when we go through something. You follow me? Instead of praying relationship prayer, pray without ceasing. When you pray without ceasing, you don't pray to solve problems. You pray to be with Jesus because you cannot be separated. You follow me? Instead of praying relationship, connection prayer, we pray crisis prayer. So my father said to me, I called him back. I said, listen, you didn't answer. And my father said to me, yes, I did. You just don't listen. He says, do you love Jesus? Yes. You sure? Yes. More than anything? Yes. Okay, bye. I called him back. Stop hanging up on me. He says, son, do you love Jesus? Yes. More than anything? Yes. More than school? Yes. Son, you think you love Jesus, but you love school. Because if you love Jesus more than anything, you would have no problem to give up school. You would have no stress over it. You would have no issue. If you love Jesus more than school, you have no problem to lose school. If you love Jesus more than job, you have no problem. If you love Jesus more than your house, you have no problem to donate your house. If you love Jesus more than your salary, you have no problem to donate your salary. If you wonder, you love your salary more than Jesus. Not saying that we should all give the house or the car or the salary, but saying that we should be willing if God would call. Hello? If God calls you like Abraham, sacrifice your son. Done. If God calls you, leave your country. Done. No negotiating. What am I going to live with? How am I going to pay my bills? If God says jump, jump. You follow me? If you really love Jesus more than job, you should have no problem to lose your job. Otherwise, you love your job more than Jesus. If you love Jesus more than freedom, you should have no problem to go to prison like Joseph. If you love Jesus more than life, you should have no problem to be a slave, like Daniel. If you love Jesus more than life, you should have no problem to die, like Paul. For me to live is Jesus. To die, it's a blessing. You follow me? And my father said to me, whatever you are not willing to give up, that's what you worship. So, whatever you stress and struggle to give up, that's your God. So, so, start looking in your closet for God. Whatever you cannot give up, that's your God. And then my father said to me, son, you say you love Jesus, you like to think that you love Jesus, but actually you love school. You love self. When you love Jesus, you surrender everything. No reserves, not 99%, everything, all to Jesus. And my father said to me, and I consider all things garbage for the price of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I joyfully, joyfully give up all things. And Paul repeats in that Bible verse, three times I give up all things. How many things? How much means all? 95%? I translated the word from Greek. The word all from Greek in English is translated all. 
I looked carefully, is not 95%. How many things are you willing to surrender for Jesus? No. And I consider all things garbage. Education, house, car. Give me your car. I'm kidding. I don't need your car. I have mine. But I am saying, I consider all things. All, all, all. And my father said to me, son, you don't love Jesus. You need to repent. You pray the wrong prayer. Lord, save my car. Lord, save my house. Lord, save my job. Lord, save my health. Lord, save my education. I said, shouldn't we present our needs? The Bible says, cast all your... You remember? Needs your problems upon him. And my father said, oh, absolutely we should ask God for help. God cares and he loves us and we should talk to him about everything. But we should not put things first. It's a matter of priority. We can talk to God about our needs. We can present God our needs. We should actually tell God about our problems. But we should put God first, not our needs first. That's the reason the Bible says, seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And by the way, when he says seek first the kingdom of God, he doesn't talk about salvation in the kingdom. He talks about prosperity of the kingdom, the advance of the kingdom. Seek first God's interest. Put first God. And then he promised he will take care of the other things. And God cannot lie, not because of you, but because of his character. If God promised that the other things will be provided, God will follow through. We just don't have enough courage to test him. Follow me? And so my father said to me, you pray the wrong prayer, son. I said, what do you mean? You seek too many things and too little God. You want God's blessings, not God's presence. Don't go to God seeking for blessings. Go to God seeking for God. Don't go to God seeking help. Go to God seeking presence. And my father said to me, this is the way you should pray when you really love Jesus. Lord, I have a problem. I'm losing school. But that's not the biggest problem because Satan doesn't care for my school. Satan doesn't need education. Satan doesn't care for my car because Satan doesn't drive. Satan doesn't care for my spouse because Satan doesn't get married. Satan doesn't care for my health. He is healthy. He's not looking to take those things from me. He's looking to take my faith from me. And he attacks me here and there to weaken my faith. So, Lord, I have a bigger problem than school. Satan is attacking my trust in you and my commitment to you. Hello? Do you understand? So, Lord, first I ask you that you give me strength to put you above all other things. To put you in the center. Number one. Number two, Lord, with my school now, let's talk about school. If my school would serve you, let me be in the school not for a salary, but to serve you. These people are communists. They know nothing about God. If you put me there, let me show them that there is a God in heaven. So they have a chance to salvation. And my father said to me, if you are in school, you are not there to have education. You are there to save your classmates. If you are in job, you are not there to have a salary. You are there to save your colleagues. If you are in this neighborhood, you are not there to have a house. You are there to save your neighbors. And God is going to ask for their blood from your hands. You are the watchman. Those people are going to say, you knew it and you didn't tell me. You need to be a light 
You need to be salt. You need to be a blessing. You need to be Jesus' feet and hands. You are there to be a light. So, son, say in prayer, Lord, if my school would honor you and help those people to be saved, if my school, my education, my presence there would witness about you, let me be there and serve you. And if my school would not serve you, get me out. And my father said to me, when you pray, don't look for yourself for a blessing. Look how you can use that blessing for God. That's how you should. I went back to prayer after three days. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I went back to prayer Wednesday night. And I prayed, Lord, this is very hard. My father wanted me to say in prayer that I give up school, that I surrender school. I'm not sure if I am willing to give up school. But Lord, I'm going to say it. I really would like to put you first. So, please, uh, I hate to say it. It was like pulling teeth, you know. Lord, uh, I, I hate to say it, but my presence in school serve you. Keep me there not to get a salary, but keep me there to serve you. And if my presence there is not going to serve you, let me lose school. When I said let me lose school, I kind of got stomach pain because I was not really willing to lose school. And, and we, we do say in prayer, may your will be done. But we don't mean it. We really want God to do what we ask. And you got to mean it when you say may your will be done. You got to mean it. Lord, please don't do my will. Do your will, whatever you want. You follow me? So I said, Lord, May your will be done. I would really love if you save my education, but I give you permission. Do whatever is better for your honor, for your service, for your kingdom. When I said those words, it was hard before I said it. When I said it, instantly, in that moment, I had peace. I had no more stress about losing my school. Instantly, it was like, I didn't have a problem. I kind of didn't care anymore if I lose school or not. It's like a big burden went off my shoulders. And I sensed God's presence next to me to the point that I was afraid to open my eyes. And trust me, I did something I never done before. I stopped praying. <coughs> Basically, I was so afraid to talk. It was like God was next to me. And I was afraid to open my eyes. And I said in my mind, what can I say? Because you know everything. Do whatever you want. And I kept quiet. And I got peace. And for some reason, <clears throat> I started to sing a song that in Romanian says, the one that trusts in the Lord has nothing to fear. And the melody is... The one that trusts in the Lord... The one that trusts in the Lord. He has nothing to be afraid of. God is always with him. You are never alone. When you go through waters, I will be with you. <coughs> if you go through fires, I will be with you. You are never alone. I have inscribed you on my palms. Even if the mountains move, my love will never move from you. I know you by name. I gave my son for you. I love you. I had peace. I didn't know what was going to happen to my school. But I no longer stressed about school. By the way, my father told me, son, you think you love Jesus. Whatever you stress about, that's what you love. And so, I had peace. I went to school. It was Thursday morning. 
Mrs. Radu, the school secretary, came to me and said, Goya, you are a good student. Please come on Saturday. Don't lose your future son. I said, not coming. You can compromise. Don't be a fanatic. Don't be extremist. You can compromise. You come to school and in your mind you pray. I said to her, you compromise today a little, tomorrow a little, soon enough, your life is going to be full of compromises. You either are with God or with the world. If you are in between, you are miserable. You are neither with God nor with the world. Lukewarm. And I said to her, lady, there are three young men who refused to bow before the image. And they didn't bow to tie their shoelaces to compromise. They stood straight. And they said, God can save us. And if he doesn't, we would rather die than to worship the image. So lady, I'm going to say the same thing. God can save my education. And if he doesn't, I would rather lose my education or my freedom or my life. But I am not going to come on Sabbath to school. And she said, you are foolish. There is no God. Nobody there. Have you seen God? Yes. When? Last night in prayer. You are crazy. You should go to the doctor. She said, there is no God. I said, well, there is a God. I want to see him. I said, I am glad he doesn't show up because we both would die. He says, Goya, you are crazy. No God can help you. No God can save you from a communist government. They have the power. They can kill you with no court justice or anything. Like in North Korea, like in Cuba. They pick you up and that's it. They can kill you. There is nobody in the universe who can save you from a communist government. Come to school on Saturday. I said, nope. There is a God. No. I said, yes. Nobody can help you. I said, oh, my God can help me. My God is bigger than your government. She looked to me, she shook her head, and she said, I want to see what power in the universe can save you. And she left. That was Thursday. Next day, Friday, was supposed to be my last day of school. I go to school. She came to me. She was yellow. She was pale. I said, lady, do you have the virus? Do you have the flu or something? Because you are yellow. She said, no, no, no. You, you, you know what happened today? I said, no. Don't you know what happened today? I said, no. Tornado? No. Earthquake? No. She says, you, you don't know what happened today? I said, please illuminate me. She says, I want you to tell me honestly, are you friends with the president? Ceausescu was the dictator, the president. She says, are you friends with him, buddies that you eat together, you talk together? I said, me? Friends with the president? Who can get close to that guy? I said, no. I've seen him on TV, but that's it. Nothing more than TV. She says, you don't know him. I said, nope. Are you friends with somebody in his inner circle? Somebody in the Communist Party? Somebody in the government? Somebody in the senator? Are you friends close with somebody around the president? I said, no. Do you know anybody in the government? I said, no. All I know about government, when I don't have money to buy flowers for my wife, in front of the government building, there are thousands of roses. I'll go there and pick a flower for free. That's all the government I know. <laughs> she says, you don't know the president? No. You know what happened today? No. Nope. He spoke at 7.30 a.m. He addressed the country. And he said, we need to save the economy. 
Therefore, starting today, I'm going to close, close all the schools on all the country on Saturdays. From today on, there will be no more school on Saturday. This way we save so much power, so much this and so much of that, and so much for heating and so much for cooling. We save so much money. Starting today, through presidential order, there will be no more school on Saturdays. And she said, if this law came next week, you would be out. And then she says, your God is real and your God really loves you. I said, lady, my God is real, but my God actually loves you, not me. She says, what do you mean? Well, when I prayed for me, he didn't answer. When I prayed that he would do whatever would serve him, so you know that there is a God, then he worked. Well, let me go back to our subject that we just gave the introduction and our time is already up. We didn't even start the sermon. Let me go back to the subject. Why don't we see power today? Because we don't see commitment today. During the disciples, they committed everything to the Lord. They were willing to lose their freedom. They were willing to lose their life. They were willing to lose their homes. They were ready to die for Jesus. Today, we have a theory of religion. We know all the doctrines. We know everything about the state of the dead. It doesn't help you to know the state of the dead if you die. We know everything about 2,300 days. All those are good things. Don't get me wrong. We should know them. But if we don't fully commit, if we don't fully surrender, we will never get full power. It is not safe for God to give us power if we would use it according to our plans and our selfish human nature. All that we ask is centered on self. I need it. Help me, bless me, heal me. My job, my car, my house, my family, my health. Me, 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 me. It's all self-centered. Jesus didn't come to serve self. He came to serve others. And he didn't call you to serve self. He called you and me to serve him and serve others. And if God gave us power and we would use it the way we plan, that would be dangerous. Because we live in a very self-centered society. And we are influenced by the world around us. God called us not to blessings, but to sacrifice. Stop seeking a blessing. The Bible says that it's a greater blessing to give than to receive. The Spirit of Prophecy says that no one prays right seeking a blessing for self. God gives you blessings that you have something to share, not something to keep. God called you to church, not that you are saved, but that you go and save others, and you are saved just as you care for others. God called Israel to mission. God didn't call Israel to salvation. God called everybody to salvation, including Israel. But he gave them a specific mission. It's not that, oh, I want Israel saved and I don't care about the others. God loves everybody so much that he gave his son. He didn't just care for Israel and didn't care for the others. He called Israel to mission, to be a light. Spiritual prophecy says, to show God's love to all nations. He called them to be a light. 
Their house was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but they isolated themselves within four walls and the others were unclean. I remember, I remember when I was young, I was about 17, I prepared the Christmas program and I worked for four months with the choir and we had songs and we had drama and we had poetry and we had everything. The best program in the world history. I thought so. And after we had an amazing Christmas program, I went to my dad and I said, did he enjoy the program? He was serious. I said, man, this was the best Christmas program ever. He said, son, why did you do it? For God. I said, he said, now you did it for your pride. I said, what? He said, son, you lose time in the church. Go home. I said, what do you mean? And my father said to me, if you have a cow, and the cow gives milk, and the cow drinks the milk, why do you have a cow? I said, I don't get it. If you prepare a program, and you listen to the program, and then you applaud yourself, why do you have a program? Shouldn't you have a program to invite people? He said to me, you don't do farming in the barn. You do farming in the field, and bring the harvest in the barn. We are not called to do farming in the barn, brothers and sisters. We are called to be a light to the world. We have a mission. Jesus is coming again, coming again, coming again. He is coming. Illinois says Jesus was ready to come long ago, but we are not ready. And she says, comma, we still have a work to finish. Jesus is coming. Are you fully committed to him? Are you fully committed to his service? Are you fully committed to the point that you sacrifice joyfully, not grandly, joyfully everything? If God would call you today and say, I want you to do this, would you do it? Because if you are not willing, you are not a Christian. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking generally. You are the most holy people. You are in Battle Creek. You must be holy. <laughs> I'm not talking about anybody. I don't even know you. I'm saying, if you don't love Jesus so much that you joyfully give up everything, Amen. then you have other gods. Hello? That's the reason they had power. Let me give you examples. Let me give you examples. Peter was a famous fisherman. He had experience from generation to generation. Everybody was a fisherman in his family. I am improvising. He had experience. He knew how to fish. And they fished the whole night. And they caught nothing. And in the morning when the sun showed up, they stopped. And if you know a little about fishing, you don't go when the sun is up. You don't go, you go fishing at 4 a.m. You don't go fishing at 10 a.m. And you don't go fishing by the shore where the water is shallow. Only foolish fish, small fish are there. The big fish are deep. Peter was close to the shore because he was able to talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, throw the net on the right side. But Jesus was on the right side. So that was not towards the deep, but was towards the shore. And Peter says, don't, please, 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 don't embarrass me in front of my colleagues. Uh, Jesus, you can teach me theology, but you cannot teach me fishing. You don't go fishing at 10 a.m., Jesus, and you don't throw the net towards the shore. 
Come on, Jesus. I tried the whole night and I have a GPS that shows me where the fish is and I caught nothing. Leave me alone. And Peter said, do what I say. And because Jesus said, he didn't get it, but he obeyed. By the way, you should not obey Jesus when it makes sense. You should just obey, period. Don't try to understand in order to obey. Just do it. And so, he threw the net and he caught how much fish? The Bible says that he could not pull it up. And he called the others and then they called the others and the boat started to sink. Can you imagine how much fish? Well, what would you do if you caught so much fish? Let's give 10% to the... 20%, let's be generous to the church. Let's give another 5% to the poor, another 5% offerings, and the rest let's put in the uh, retirement account. Okay? And then you follow Jesus. Jesus says, leave it all. What? Give it up. But can I keep two fish? No. Give it all up and follow me, and I will make you fish of men. But, but Jesus... That doesn't make sense. Why would you give me the fish if you want me to give it up? Basically, if I am hungry, I didn't eat for three days, and I am just fainting, and you give me a banana. I see the banana, I'm so hungry, I already have water in my mouth, and you say, give it back. <laughs> That's torture. Why would you do that? Jesus, why do you give me fish and then you ask me to give it up? What's the point? Number one, Jesus wanted to see full surrender. Number two, Jesus wanted to teach him a lesson. I gave you the fish. I have the power to provide. When I call you, you don't need to worry. If I say give up your car, don't worry. I own all the cars in the world. I can give you 100 cars. I just say and you have a car. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, and it happens. If God says, follow me, he can give you water from the rock. He can give you bread from heaven. He can send birds. He can do it. He can multiply the fish and the bread. He is God. The reason he doesn't give it to you is because you didn't give it up to begin with. Hello? What is the condition? Peter, give it up all. Who gave you the fish? Trust me. And Peter says, Lord, we have given up everything. What do we get? And Jesus said, 100 times here and eternal life. Another example. Elijah, the prophet, is walking and he sees Elisha. Elisha was behind how many pairs of oxen? Twelve. If you read carefully, if you read the history, the archaeology, the tradition, people that were poor, they would bring a dove, a sacrifice. People that were okay, they would bring a lamb. People that were rich, they would bring several lambs. People that were poor would have no oxen. They would borrow. People that were okay, a pair of oxen. People that were rich, two, three pairs of oxen that would pull the plow. How many pairs of oxen had Elisha? Twelve. He was a rich guy. He had the John Deere with all the attachments with all the accessories, with a big barn, a gigantic farm, he was well-to-do. And Elijah threw the coat on him. In that time, coat told the job. The judge had this type of coat, the priest had this type of coat, 
the lawyer had this type of coat, the prophet had this type of coat. So when he threw the coat, the meaning was God is calling you to be a pastor or a prophet or whatever. What did Elisha do? I would sell the farm, return tight, and then put the money in my bank account. He sacrificed the oxen, and the Bible says that he burned the John Deere. The Bible says that he burned all the equipment and the farm and the barn. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he burn the equipment? He wanted nothing to be tempted to look back to. Like Lot's wife. She looked back and she perished. When God calls you, you surrender all. Otherwise, you will always have a divided heart. You cannot serve both. You may think that you can, but you actually, when you have a divided heart, we serve Satan. When we serve self, we, serve, we fulfill Satan's plan. When God calls you, if you really want power, you need to surrender all. Only then, when you surrender your life, your will, your all, God can give you unlimited power. Because you are not going to use that power in a wrong way. God is going to give you unlimited blessings because you are not going to use those blessings in a wrong way. You are going to use them the way He says. For instance, Peter surrendered all. He sees Tabitha dead. He goes there. He doesn't keep a funeral sermon. He says, Tabitha, get up. The reason he had power is because he surrendered. Let me read you a quotation. I'm going to jump over the sermon. We are not going to go through the sermon. By the way, if anyone, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate, the word hate is Misheo, it doesn't mean to hate. It means to love less than, to love job less than God, to love your mother or father or see less than you love God. Or compared to the love for God, all the other loves look like hate. You love God so much that the love for job looks like hate. Whoever comes to me and doesn't hate <coughs> everything else cannot be my disciple. That's the reason Paul says, I die daily. I die daily. You should not surrender when you get baptized. You surrender every day. You surrender every day. You surrender Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. You die to self daily. That's the reason. Paul says, I've been crucified and I no longer live. Dead people have no desires. Dead people have no will. Dead people have no problem to surrender because they are dead. If you die daily, then you don't need to have a will because you are dead. God's will leads you. He says, I've been crucified. I no longer live. Jesus lives in me. So if he says, jump, I jump because I am dead. Dead people have no will. You follow me? Unless you fully surrender daily, you'll never have victory, you'll never have peace, you'll never have power, you'll never have baptisms, you'll never have God. God doesn't accept a divided heart. Let me... <clears throat> we talked about this. Let me jump way to the end, to the last slide. 
we are at slide one and now we jump at slide 23. To everyone, how many people? How many people? To everyone who offers himself to God for service, not, oh, I offer myself to Jesus, specifically for service, withholding nothing. How much can you keep for yourself? How much can you keep for yourself? How much do you surrender? To everyone who offers himself to God for service, withholding nothing, is given unlimited heavenly power. Can you grasp the concept of unlimited heavenly power? The reason we don't have power is because we don't fully surrender. To everyone that offers himself to God for service, withholding nothing, is given unlimited heavenly power for the attainment of measureless results. And then he talks about the disciples that when they surrendered all, finally they received the Holy Spirit and they performed miracles and thousands got baptized and the gospel spread right away. Listen, all that the disciples did, every church member should do today. A work similar of the day of Pentecost, God is ready to do today again. If we fully surrender. Let me give you a few other quotations before we finish. Christ in life made no plans for himself. He accepted God's plan for him. Every day. Every day he depended on God's plans. So should we depend upon God. By the way, she says every morning, commit your plans to the Lord. Ready to fulfill them or to give them up according to his will. Another quotation. If we plan according to our ideas, God will leave us to our own mistakes. But when we follow his directions, even if we are brought to narrow places, he will deliver us. Another quote. The one who depends, listen carefully, the one who depends upon his own wisdom is separating himself from Christ and he's fulfilling the purpose of the enemy. Listen carefully. This is powerful. The reason we have no power is that we trust too much in our wisdom and too little in God. He will help his believing children if they would put their whole confidence in him. Too many in planning for a brilliant future for themselves fail. Let God plan for you. God never leads his children otherwise that they will choose to be led if they knew the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose that he has for them. Many who profess to be Christians are anxious because they are afraid to fully surrender, to fully trust. They don't make a complete surrender because they shrink from the consequence of such surrender. Unless you make this surrender, you'll never have peace. God will do great things for those who fully trust in Him. Listen. I'm going to jump to the last one. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us. Ways that we know nothing of. Those who accept this one principle, only one principle. What is the principle? Making God's service supreme. What is the one principle that is needed in the church? Making God's service, how? First. Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first. Not my life, not my job, not my family. Not my health. Jesus comes first. 
Anything that comes first before Jesus is your God. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him. I truly and joyfully and with all my heart give. What happens to me? Not important. If I live, I'm going to live for Him. If I die, I'm going to see Him next second because it will be a second to the resurrection for me. I don't care if I live or die. I don't care if I lose my job or I have a job. I don't care if I have education or not. I don't care if I have a job or a house or a car or not. I don't care because all are blessings and they are all going to burn very soon. One thing I care. I want him more than life. I want him more than food. I want him more than water. I want him more than air. I want him, not his blessings. I want his presence. And I want to serve him. And I want to love him. And I want to put him first. And he may do to me whatever he wants. I trust in him because I know him. Hello? When you do that daily, Lord, I am not able. I am selfish. I am human. But I do want to surrender. Please. I give it all to you. Help me surrender. When you pray that prayer Monday, and you pray that prayer Tuesday, and you pray that prayer every day, God is going to work in you. Things that you cannot work yourself. In human power, in human nature, you cannot do it. But when you give him permission, and you choose daily to surrender, he's going to work in you the will and the, and the works. He's going to give you opportunities and growth, and he's going to do through you things that you'll never imagine. But you must choose to surrender fully, daily. God is calling the church to surrender. Jesus is coming soon. It is time to surrender. If you really want to be in heaven, don't play religion. Don't play church. Don't play games with the Holy Spirit. If you really love Jesus, you must fully surrender. Don't say, but I, I, I don't have the power. You don't need to worry about how you do it. You need to choose and let him do it. I can do all things in. Let him do it. But you must choose daily. Don't be afraid that you lose your life. If you die, nobody will care too much. I'm kidding. Don't be afraid because God promised to take care of your needs. It was difficult for us to understand that. But when my wife and I made that decision, things changed. For instance, we planted a garden in Kentucky when we used to live in Kentucky. Rocks, mountain, the dirt was like this. And then rock under. And bugs, they ate everything. Nothing grew up. And we planted again. And we put dirt. And we put manure. And we put fertilizer. Nothing. And then we planted again. And the deer ate it. And then we planted again. And the bugs ate it. And then we said, Lord... If you would give us vegetables, we are going to surrender them to you. In the beginning, we are going to give 50% of what we get in the garden. That year, our garden, I have pictures, exploded. If you see my garden right now, six by nine meters. If you see my garden, you think that is crazy. Tomatoes, 10 feet tall, with 45, 50, 60 tomatoes per plant. Two, three pounds each tomato. I have pictures. My co-workers, my colleagues, my friends, the, the team came one time to visit and when they saw the tomatoes that you hold one tomato in two hands, they said, we have never seen anything like that in our life. 
What do you do? Nothing. Nothing. It's just from heaven. What we do? We take half of the garden and give it. So when they came, we gave several buckets of tomatoes. You take one bucket, you take one bucket, you take one bucket. And we don't keep up giving as much as God is giving us. And the more he gives us, the more we give. And we don't care because you know what? It's raining blessings. But we had to make the decision to share 50% of our garden before we could get the garden. Do you follow me? Unless you surrender, you'll never experience growth. You'll never experience blessings. You'll never experience power. You'll never experience victory. God is calling you to full surrender. If you really want to finish the work, it is time to make that decision today. Would you choose from now on to daily surrender all to Jesus? Would you dare to challenge God and say, Lord, I cannot do it, but I am asking you to keep your word and do it in me. If you want to kill me, kill me. Do whatever it takes, any surgery, regardless how painful. But today, I'm going to ask you to help me. And then tomorrow again, and then next day again. Help me fully surrender. If you do that, let's pray together. Father in heaven, you know the hearts. You know our minds, you know our lives, you know our needs, you know our challenges, you know our struggles. We know that we should surrender, but sometimes we are afraid because we don't know what's going to happen. And we are afraid because we don't trust you. And we don't trust you because we don't know you. Help us, Lord, trust you with all our heart. And help us love you more than anything else. And help us joyfully surrender daily. So you may lead us and we may follow your plans daily. Help us finish the work and go home soon. We pray this prayer in Jesus' precious name. And thank you, Lord. Amen.